This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! And a very warm welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. We weren't entirely sure if we were going to have a match preview podcast to talk about and preview the next match because at one stage it was suggested Minnesota's season may very well come to an end in Kansas City. That wasn't the case at all, Kindra D. St. Aubin. What a performance from Minnesota United. Perhaps the best we've ever seen, particularly in that opening 45 minutes from Minnesota United in Major League Soccer. Yeah, and I think part of what made that win so comprehensive and honestly just sort of fulfilling is the fact that they weathered the storm that they did in the first five or ten minutes of the match where they were just completely under pressure, you know, a ball saved out the line by Michael Boxall, a brilliant save by Dane St. Clair to keep this team in the game. And all of a sudden then it was like the, the flip switch. The light bulb came on. It was pedal to the metal front to back, back to front. It was a complete performance to come away with the three, nothing victory. And not just to get the three goals in the first half after weathering that storm, but also to preserve the shutout, which I think sometimes I even forget about until we get in about the 80th minute saying, Hey, this is the time to preserve that shutout because it's important, not just the win, but the shutout. And they did that. And so for me, it almost made it even more kind of fulfilling and exciting. The fact that they bounced back from that shaky start on the road at sporting Kansas city to get the job done. And what a, a, just a really gutty performance by this club. It was really fun to watch. Could have been a completely different game. Had Kansas city have taken those chances, as you mentioned, Michael Boxall performing heroically for Minnesota, not for the first time since his arrival in 2017, a wonderful goal line clearance from him. Dane St. Clair made several saves as well. Um, It feels as though, Kendra, quite rightly so, a lot of the attention is going on the attacking quartet, which we'll talk about shortly. But we can't forget the defensive efforts from Minnesota United either. Well, and you know, I think what stands out to me about this team and about this club, and I believe I asked Michael Boxel and Ethan Finley about this, which, um, you know, you'll be able to hear at some point or get their thoughts on. But the, the defensive performance is really a team effort. From this club and you can just see the willingness to work for each other defensively you know if it's Roma Metzenier making an overlapping run where he's high up the pitch on the right hand side doesn't get the ball and he's completely out of position defensively because he was making the effort offensively it's Ozzy Alonso it's Jan Gregus it's another player dropping in and filling that void to make sure that defensively Minnesota United doesn't get beat. So you have the back four, you have the middle two, which are so solid defensively. And let's include Dade St. Clair on that. But really from even from front to back, the defensive pressure that Minnesota United put on sporting Kansas city and they did it together was evident, you know, after that first 10 minutes, Robin Lud kind of initiates the pressure. Then Emmanuel Reynoso, Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley have to follow suit. If you don't all do it together, it kind of goes for naught. So from, you know, the back line we talk about quite a bit, but really the defensive effort as a unit stood out to me tonight, or I'm sorry, against Sporting Kansas City to make sure that they shut down their wingers, they shut down their central players, they frustrated Roger Espinoza, their number nine, who was Kyrie Shelton for much of the match, didn't do a whole lot. Um, I think that this was just proof in the pudding there for Minnesota United that they could get the job done defensively all over the field. How important was the reinsertion of Ozzy Alonso in the centre of midfield? 
you know, I said it in the broadcast that I felt like he gained five or 10 years on his legs. I mean, he looked spry. He looked lively. He looked energetic and maybe a little bit of the rest that he's had to endure because of the hamstring allowed him to kind of get some of those years back on his legs because he looked like his old self to me, meaning one year ago, two years ago, whereas this season, because of the wonkiness of it and stopping and starting, he didn't look quite right. And I thought against Sporting Kansas City, he was firing on all cylinders. He was always in the right position at the right time. And that is what everyone loves about Ozzy Alonso. It's not just his winning the ball. It's his ability to break up the play, his willingness to get in those positions in those moments where he may not intercept the pass, but all of a sudden their players can't make that pass because he's filling that hole. He's filling that gap and his leadership and just, you know, his also let's just call it what it is, his experience in the postseason. And it, you know, the players draw on that, his guidance and just his, how many times I saw in the game where he's putting his hands out to kind of calm it down, slow it down, especially after that first 10 minutes to help get the team back on track. So in every facet of the game, um, from just a leadership quality and just a playing technical, tactical quality, I mean, it was, it was awesome to have Ozzy Alonso back on the field. It'll be huge for Minnesota moving forward when he goes to his former employer, Seattle Sounders. We'll talk about that a little later on, Kendra. Um, if he starts against the Sounders, which we're assuming he will, it'll be his 29th postseason appearance. In terms of active players in Major League Soccer, there's only two that have got more appearances than Ozzy Alonso. He is um, a stalwart in capital letters, it's safe to say, um, and such a big player for the Loons moving forwards. What about the players ahead, the likes of Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino? We can't do a podcast without talking about them and breaking them down. It, it seems as though they're hitting their form at the right time. You know what else I think about when you throw a player like Emmanuel Reynoso in the mix, and we've talked about that now several times, and we talk it amongst ourselves. We talk about it with Minnesota United staff members and players and coaches. But what you know now is that they're drawing attention from all across the league. Emmanuel Reynoso was the headline of every article written about the last game against Sporting Kansas City, and rightfully so. Three assists in that match. Three assists, if, you know, against Colorado in the previous game, if you include the second assist he had. This is a guy that completely changes games and that other teams are having to game plan for. And not to take anything away from other players that have been on Minnesota United's roster in the past three-plus seasons, but I don't know if there was ever a player, maybe where you're like, every game, game in and game out, from a consistency standpoint, the opposition is legitimately game planning for. How can we stop this guy? How can we prevent him from getting the ball where he makes his teammates better? And that's exactly what teams have to do with Emmanuel Reynoso. This front four with Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley, Robin Lud, Emmanuel Reynoso, like we saw against Sporting Kansas City, is something to be reckoned with. And, and in my opinion, it all starts with Reynoso. And again, not to take anything away from Kevin Molino, he's been phenomenal, but he's one of the first people who would tell you, when you play with a player like Emmanuel Reynoso, you know good things are going to happen, and it makes him a better player. And that's what's been fun to watch. I think Darwin Quintero would, would possibly fit this description as well, but, but for me, more so Emmanuel Reynoso, to the point where, where you could say it in capital letters, really, in my opinion, Kendra, Emmanuel Reynoso, for me, is probably um, best identified as, as an, an edge-of-your-seat footballer. He's one of those that whenever he gets the ball, you know something's going to happen. As I said, I, th I thought Quintero, particularly when he first joined the club, could, could perhaps be, be fitting of that description as well. But, but Emmanuel Reynoso, very, very much more so, He's the first player in MLS history to claim three assists in back-to-back -back playoff games. 
I don't think we ever thought we would see a player like this for Minnesota United. We, we knew that he was going to be good coming in. But in your opinion, as he's so far, let's bear in mind he's only been with the club a couple of months. Has he surpassed expectations? I think he has. I mean, we all hope this is what he could be and what he could bring to this club. But again, as you stated, you never know until the player gets here. You never know until they fit in with the the league, with the team, with the players. And then you're doing it on top of that in this crazy 2020 where players can't even interact really together off the pitch. You know, this isn't a, a situation in 2020 where a group of guys to help make a field a guy feel welcome can go out to dinner or go hang out or play video games or show them around the city. I mean, none of that is going on. So we talk about the on the field performance by Manuel Reynoso and is this what we expected, but also in the year that we've had and his short amount of time that he's been here. I think you can say it, it for me, he surpassed expectations because this is what you hope for in your wildest dreams that this is the, the level he would be at. But to me, he's even surpassed that because and I totally agree with you about Darwin Quintero, and he was kind of on the tip of my tongue. But when I think of consistency, every single match that they have played, I think that you know what you are going to get from Emmanuel Reynoso. Even if he doesn't show up on the score sheet, you know what you're going to get from him. And sometimes Darwin Quintero, you know, he would fall off a little bit or you didn't know what kind of Darwin you were going to get that night. But we knew what quality he brought when he was at his best. Whereas with Reynoso, I feel like you know what you're going to get every night. And he's brought that every night. And that's why I think he's such a special player and a great teammate on top of it all. So, you know, he checked the boxes and you can understand why he was worth the wait and worth the effort that Mark Watson and company did to, to get him here. Yeah, I think Darwin Quintero also perhaps worthy of the title of the most bipolar footballer Minnesota United have ever had as well. You never really knew what you were going to get, did you? But Emmanuel Reynoso, the complete opposite. He's been fabulous. Ten assists in his last five games for Minnesota United. One person that has benefited from that magnificently has been Kevin Molino. Six goals in the last three games, Kendra. Is he playing the best football of his career so far? Absolutely. I mean, well, you know what? I should be fair. I haven't seen every game of every year he's ever played in the league. But um, even when talking to him earlier with the media, I mean, he he says much the same. Like, this is the best football he's probably played in his career because he's healthy. He's clicking on all cylinders. He's got a player like Reynoso playing under, you know, underneath him or alongside of him, I should say. And those are the kind of players that will make everybody better and just lift their game, elevate their game. They're on the same page. And he was asked several times about, you know, how long did it take you to connect or click or find this chemistry? And he said, football is an international language. It's one of those things where players like that, that play that style, they know where they need to make the run. They know where they need to put the ball. They know where they need to run off the shoulder. They know when they're going to do a give and go and get the ball back. These are all things that, you know, Kevin Molino has been shining now. And we talk about consistency and how many times have you and I talked about this over the last four years now is Kevin Molino clearly and easily, in my opinion, one of the best central midfielders, attacking midfielders, whatever you want to call him um, in, in the league, but we've never been able to see it multiple games in a row. It was kind of two games on, one game off, one game on, two games off, niggling injuries, ACL, trying to come back from that. Now we are seeing him healthy. And you know what else I just love about Kevin Molino is he is the first guy when you bring up how good of a year he's having to credit every single one of his teammates. And I think that is just why his teammates love him and appreciate him. He brings a quality of leadership, a quality of work effort, you know, work ethic and of just quality on the ball, but he credits everybody around him 
for getting the job done and making him better and part of the success that he's had. So I, I appreciate that he's getting the numbers he is because I think he deserves all the credit in the world and all the attention in the world for the year he's having right now. Whilst we're on the subject of Molina and Reynoso, I'll tell you what I thought, Kinder, from, from my vantage point for the game on Thursday. It's obvious that whenever Minnesota play a team that go with the three in the centre of midfield and they have the, the one uh, singular sitting midfielder, the, the singular six, if you will, the space either side of, of that player usually, and Ilya Sanchez, when you go and look at heat maps and whatnot, you can see that's the case. Emmanuel Reynoso, for me, took full advantage of that. And even when... Um, he was able to pull Sanchez away as well. He, he, he really caused problems for Ilya Sanchez, who I suspect was given instructions to semi-man Mark Reynoso. But even if he wasn't, Reynoso did a wonderful job in pulling away Sanchez, meaning there's so much space ahead of the Kansas City back line. And the likes of Molino and Fenlay really took advantage. And for me, because of the space on the right-hand side for um, Ilya Sanchez, um, that is naturally where Molino likes to tuck in anyway. He, look, he... He plays on the left-hand side, but we've seen him before. He likes to tuck in. He's more comfortable with those angles on the right foot. I'll ask you this a little bit later on in terms of how we think it'll fare against Seattle because they tend to play with a double pivot, and, and that'll be interesting to see how they do. But the one thing's for sure, Kendra, is that Adrian Heath is absolutely delighted with Kevin Molino. And, and now we're perhaps seeing the Kevin Molino that many people thought Minnesota got back in 2017. Am I correct in saying that? Well, 100%. You know, because a huge piece of it is you would see the quality on his on the ball in these moments and you could see what he could do. But now he's got the players that can do it, too, around him. And so much of it is you'd see him, you know, what, even when he was playing as the number 10 or even, you know, sometimes almost like a withdrawn forward up top or whatever it might be, you know, dating back to 2017, 2018, is he would do these little moves, make these runs and he'd give it to someone, but he would never get it back or that player would then lose possession. So now you've got these quality of players that are around you, like an Emmanuel Reynoso, like a Robin Lud, who can keep the ball, who know how to shield the ball, who know how to put the ball in the right spot at the right time and in, in, in the, on the right foot even. I mean, people underestimate those little simple things in the game of soccer of putting it on the player's correct foot in the stride that they're in, in the position they're in on the field and how much you can gain wherever you are in that final third. So these are all things that Kevin Molino, I think we could see in the past, but then he would give the pass and not give it back, get it back. And it, and it was like there, then the, then the offense would die and it, and it would just fall apart in that final third. And you've been clamoring for this creativity and we're finally seeing it and we're getting it. And again, hats off also to Robin Lud and um, Ethan Finley for doing what they do to allow what Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino need to do and how it all works together. And Ethan Finley even said, you know, he, he does what he does and continues to make the runs and get in behind and stretch the back line and, he knows that probably 85% of the time he's not going to get the ball. But if it draws the defenders out and it creates more space for those other guys to operate it, operate in, then he's done his part and he's done his job and he's happy doing that. Not a lot of players in MLS would necessarily say that. They'd be okay with kind of being the dummy run every time. So it takes the whole group to really make this offense go. Well, in the next segment, we'll be joined by Seattle Sounders legend Casey Keller to talk all about the Sounders. But first, Kendra, let me ask you about the other conference final, Columbus Crew and New England Revolution. Um, somewhat of an old school Major League Soccer game, some would say. Both MLS originals, of course, coming into the league in, in 96 when it first came to pass. Um, these conference finals can, can go either way. I, I think it, it, it's very difficult to, 
to predict from a tactical point of view. It, it's essentially who turns up on the day. But one would perhaps make the argument that the crew would be the favourites because they're at home, but the other perhaps saying, well, Bruce Arena's done this a million times. Where, where do you stand with this? I stand in the fact that I think this game really is going to go right down to the wire. Um, I don't think you can underestimate Bruce Arena in the postseason. And I know they came in as the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, but I don't put really any emphasis on that because of the way 2020 shook out and, and just some of the games and injuries and dealing with international transfer window and all these other kind of things and absences. And for me, I don't think that Columbus is going into this game playing their best soccer. So for me, it's about momentum. It's about form heading into this match. And I know Columbus crew have yet to lose at home on the season, but I would honestly give the, the edge to New England at this point. And maybe I'm just basing that on how even Columbus crew looked against Nashville. You know, it was not a great game by them. I don't think they're, as we said, in their best form. I don't know if they'll have their starting goalkeeper back um, who missed that game. Um, but ultimately, I think the way New England Revolution are playing and how Bruce Arena seems to operate and their designated players are really fine in their groove. Um, I think that this is going to be a good one, but I would honestly give the edge to New England Revolution at this point because I think they've gone on the road now in every game they've needed to play in the postseason and gotten a convincing result. And we'll see that again maybe in, in Columbus. I, I think it'll be a tight game. It's not going to be convincing. But, I mean, I would say I would give my guess 60-40 New England Revolution in this match. And I don't know what the the pundits or the the line is or any of that. I don't even understand betting. But I think that, for me, the New England Revolution would actually be the favorite and not the underdog, even though they're going on the road as the eighth seed to Columbus Crew team that hasn't lost at home all season. I would still give the edge to New England. How about you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think right now the Revs are probably playing the best soccer they've played all season. I think finally Bruce Arena has got a hold of them and, and got them playing the way that he wants them to. Um, for me, Carlos Gil has, is coming into the postseason in spectacular form. Um, and what, what I like about him, obviously he starts out usually uh, in a wider position and, and, and tucks in very much like Kevin Molino and, and co. Um, and, and it's it's so obvious that as soon as they get the ball to him, everything changes uh, from a, a shape-wise when they push forward. Everything tends to break off and it causes chaos for opposing teams. Adam Buxer can score goals. We've, we've obviously seen that already. Uh, Tio Bunbury is uh, is a threat. Uh, and, and obviously Gustavo Bowe has come in and, and done really well for, for the Rebs as well. So um, I, I think I would have to agree with you there, Kay, in the sense that I think from a, a purely from a footballing standpoint... I think that, that the Rebs would, would create more opportunities and because of the players that we've just rattled off there, I could see those chances being taken as well. We, we've not even spoken about the emergence of uh, Tejon Buchanan as a right-back as well, who, who nobody seemed to expect as well. Um, nobody probably had any time to prepare for that extra man pushing forward as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but, but I would agree with you. I, I, think, I think the Rebs may very well... It'll be tight as well, I agree. I think it could be a 2-1, 3-2 type game. And, and, and I, I think eventually it'll go in favor of the Rebs. Um, the last thing quick I'll say about that is, and I was, I was you know, changing, exchanging messages with J, JP Della Camera, the voice for the Philadelphia. And 
I, you know, he said that Philadelphia had their worst game on the worst day of the season when they lost, meaning, you know, you couldn't have picked a worse day of the season to have your worst game. Right. And that's what we know can happen in the postseason. That's why this is do or die, you know, to be a little hype, a little hyperbole here. But this is a must-win situation, so we can sit here and we can analyze and break down and discuss what, who's done what, where, and when. But ultimately, it's who's better on the day. And we can look at the records and what teams have done. And Caleb Porter, I'm sure, remembers Bruce Arena fondly. I, don't, I know they haven't had the best postseason matchup um, relationship as they've gone against each other. But that's why these, that's why these games are so much fun is because it's really anybody's game on any day and whoever has the best 90 minutes. So um, Minnesota going up against the Seattle Sounders in the Western Conference final. But before that, Kendra, the Sounders had to get rid of FC Dallas. And they did that just about. I think FC Dallas have drawn quite rightly so several plaudits. They don't have a massive budget. They don't tend to spend a lot of money. And yet, Luchi Gonzalez has gotten the better of uh, a load of opponents this year and seems to do very well with the academy that they have at their disposal there, which is unsurprising given his history. Um, but what did you make of the Seattle Sounders on that particular evening? I didn't think the Sounders looked very good. Um, I, it didn't look as fluid to me in the attack as what I'm used to seeing. Ladero was all over the field, just like we know that he can be. Um, he does not stay in the central position as a true number 10. He floats anywhere. He can appear anywhere. All of a sudden, he can be up higher alongside Rui Diaz or even beyond Rui Diaz, almost kind of interchanging positions there. Um, but I didn't think that they were as effective going forward as I've seen in the past. I didn't think Jordan Morris had a great game um, trying to get in behind the back line and using his pace. I thought defensively, you know, there were moments where they looked a little rattled, a little frazzled by some of what FC Dallas was doing. And I didn't think FC Dallas looked great. It just looked like almost Seattle maybe took FC Dallas a little bit lightly. And um, I thought they were lucky to come out with a win there. They dominated in every statistical category. They probably had the better of the chances on the night. But ultimately, I think that um, Seattle did not look as crisp and clean and clear-cut as what I'm used to seeing with their front attacking players. We're so dangerous on the break. Watch out on transition. These guys with Nico Ladero and Roldan can ping a ball forward and immediately with especially with Jordan Morris, can be out on the break, going the other direction. Jordan Morris takes a couple one-two long touches, and they bury it. And if he doesn't bury it, you know, Rui Diaz is in there for the cross or he's in there for the rebound off the goalkeeper. So what I expected to see from Seattle Sounders at home against an FC Dallas side, I didn't quite see. But all that matters is that they won the game and they moved on. And I'm sure that was a little bit of what Schmetzer said after the game. And then after that, he's probably thinking, we've got to be better than this. It's got to be better than this. We are not playing up to our abilities, but I wasn't like, whoa, we're in big trouble here after watching that Seattle Sounders FC Dallas game. So before we move on and talk to the Sounders legend Casey Keller in the next segment, we spoke about it briefly earlier. Let me just get your opinion here, Kendra. We mentioned about Reynoso and the role that he has played for Minnesota and the gaps that he's exposed and exploited. The Sounders have, for the majority of the campaign, played a double pivot and two holding midfielders. That will mean a lot less room to operate for Reynoso and Molina. What sort of challenges will that present and pose for Minnesota? 
Well, I think that it's going to be on them to create and find this space. And maybe they start playing centrally. But if if the game gets shut down centrally, then you have to take advantage of the wide spaces. You have to be able to get your outside backs involved. And it has to be on Chase Gasper and Roma Metzenier, I'm assuming, because that's who started the last match, to make those overlapping runs and force the issue for the width, create the width. And then hopefully that will open up the center of the pitch more. As you said, Kevin Molino likes to pinch in. So Early in the season, or earlier in the season, I should say, it seemed like there were times where it felt too crowded in the middle to operate. So you have to kind of try to avoid that. You don't want it to be too crowded, so you open up the wide spaces. That creates some space in the middle. It forces Jao Paulo. It forces Roldan. It forces those guys to kind of find those players and help out and support the defense for Seattle Sounders and hopefully opens up the middle of the pitch because you have to go with your bread and butter, which is Emmanuel Reynoso, which is Robin Lloyd, Kevin Kevin Molino and Ethan Finley to attack and get in behind. And I think it's going to really be key for Roma Mentineer and Chase Gasper to be very on their game for the overlapping runs. Biggest game in club history for Minnesota United in Major League Soccer up against Seattle Sounders in the Western Conference Final. Stay with us after the break. We'll speak to the Seattle Sounders club legend, Casey Keller. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin, as always, the biggest game in club history for Minnesota United, vastly approaching against Seattle Sounders in the Western Conference final. So we thought we'd bring on a proper Seattleite and someone who knows the club inside out. Also had a decent career in Europe as well with the likes of Borussia Mönchengladbach, Fulham, Tottenham, Leicester, Millwall. Also a little spell with Portland Timbers, I'm sure he doesn't like to talk about as well. Joining us on the podcast, former United States number one goalkeeper, Casey Keller. Casey, how are you? Hey, Callum. Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Surely, once again, Casey... The Seattle Sounders will be viewing this as just another day in the office, a regular day in the office again, a Western Conference final. They've done this before. Nothing really needs to change for them, does it? Well, it does. But I think anytime you're in a, you know, I mean, let's be honest, this is a semifinal. Any time you have an opportunity to get into another final, you there's something serious about it and you have to take it serious. And, and the Sounders have done a great job. I mean, they've been in, you know, three of the last four finals, they won two of them and they have another opportunity to go there. You'll have a group that's been in all of them. You'll have a group where this is their first opportunity to be in a final. And so you, you never, you never know if there's ever going to be another one. Uh, I was fortunate. I played in a few cup finals, um, won some, lost some, but you, you never know when that, uh, if that opportunity is going to be your last. And so you, you take it every chance you get. The, the minute you, uh, you take it for granted, you're in a lot of trouble. And, you know, this side is, it's a good team. It's a team that, that's been together. They've been there before. They, they, they know what to expect. Um, but just as, you know, the Sounders went down to L.A. last year with no hope of getting to the final, it was – you know, L.A. It was had had already had the the parade um, from from winning the final, uh, and and the Sounders went down there and put together one of their most comprehensive performances that I've seen uh, in in uh, from covering the Sounders. So 
they understand that, you know, albeit they're the favorites and they're at home, that they understand that uh, somebody can come in and, and ruin the party. And you speak of, you know, some of the newbies that this might be their first conference final and some that have been there, done that before. Well, one figure that has been there and done that before and has been through the ups and the downs and the, the victories that Seattle has had is Brian Schmetzer, the head coach. So what's his message been to the group heading into this this game? Well, uh, yeah, I don't think the messaging has changed a whole lot. I think the messaging from from day one is the expectation at this club is is to make you know, it's you're making the playoffs and then and then you're gonna try to get as far along as you can after that and you know it, early on we had some good teams that didn't quite achieve that goal that that they should have gone further they should have challenged uh, for MLS Cup and and you know Brian started that from the you know that first year when he took over from Ziggy midway through the season put a great run together and brought home that first MLS cup and and it just hasn't changed from there not only is it now that the you know once you you do it once you understand what it takes to get there it almost seems like it's that much easier to to get there the next time or at least it has been for the club and the expectation of the players and so Brian has set that expectation from the players of what it takes and why they were disappointed but happy at the same time with the match against uh, Dallas the other day is they know they didn't play well. They know they they didn't perform uh, to the uh, to the level that they know they're capable of doing, but they still found a way to keep a clean sheet, found a, a way to win 1-0 and get themselves into this tie against Minnesota. And I think Minnesota at the same time it can take a lot of confidence um, in that first 20 minutes in, in Kansas city um, really could have been down two nil could have been down three nil and, you know, found a way to keep, uh, keep it clean at the back. And then, you know, had one of those spells where you have three shots in 10, 15 minutes and you score three goals and next thing you know, you're cruising. So, but it is, it, it, it's, it's, it's knowing how to do something. It's being there before and doing it, but then keeping your messaging the same. Uh, don't, Oh, well, you know, we've been there before, so we'll just take our foot off the gas here or allow you to do that. And I think that's where Brian and and Brian will be the first to admit as well. When you have a coaching staff of Precky and Jimmy Triori and Gonzo Pineda and Tommy Dutra, I mean, you have a extremely experienced coaching staff that you can fall back on. There's not a lot of coaching staffs where the assistant coach is you know, been a head coach for multiple teams. It, it had been the coach of the year in MLS, and then you've got – you know, another, another player who won Champions League and another, you know, so there's, there's a lot of experience around there. And Brian will be the first to admit that he uh, relies on his staff and that whole staff as a unit uh, will have this team prepared. Now, you still have to perform on the day. You still have to go about a, against a team in Minnesota that should be full of confidence, uh, should be now – They've got to be disappointed with the scheduling and how they play, you know, away on Thursday. And, you know, Sounders had a match two days previously and didn't have to travel. And now they got to have another shift uh, halfway across the country to, to play another match. But, you know, as well as I know, Adrian, I'm sure that he's uh, using that as a motivation for his players as well. Okay, so you mentioned being there and done that and gotten the t-shirt the t and having experience and being there before. 
one individual that has certainly done that is a former teammate of yours in Aussie Alonso. Big day for him once again. What are you expecting from him? Yeah, I, I expect Ozzy to give everything as I've always expected Ozzy to give everything. And, and you know, I, the, the only hard part for me is that I'd love to see Ozzy come back to this scenario with, you know, 40, 50,000 people in the stadium and and go from there. But, uh, you know, that's the, the year we're in and, and, and he just has to deal with that. And obviously everybody on TV will will be rooting for Ozzy to a point. Uh, and then... Uh, as, as he still, you know, is, you know, one of the, the most favored sounders of all time. So, and you know, I know this season for him was, was difficult, had some injury issues is, you know, the stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, how many different times, but he seems to be in, 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 in good fitness now, good form and, and, and I'm sure relishing this opportunity and, I uh, can't wait for the first time he kicks Ladero because I'm sure Ladero's waiting for the first time he kicks him as well. Speaking of Ladero, though, I mean, it's pretty clear that he's a guy, a, a tough guy to track down. It's hard to keep track of where he's at on the pitch. He starts out maybe in that quote unquote 10 role, but he's all over the place. What what kind of value do you put on him to this club and, and how they operate? And when he goes, does the club go? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think the Sounders have done a good job from day one of being able to make replacements because you, you know there was a long time where you would have thought that Ozzy was irreplaceable. Um, but you know, they get to another final and win another final and get to, you know back to another Western Conference final. So so yeah, so the club, you know, nobody's above the club and nobody should ever ever be above the club, regardless of of what club you're at. Um, but you know, it, at the same time, you know, Nico's come in and, and filled a role at a time that was extremely important. And and he's led by example from the first minute. Nobody's going to work harder in training. Nobody's going to work harder in the match. And, and as you said, sometimes his movement can have its own issues because if, if we don't know where he's going to be, his teammates don't know where he's going to be. But when it clicks, there's no question that uh, he's been a massive uh, – reason why this club has had the success that they've had in in recent years whilst we're on the subject of number 10s and wonderful south americans i've got to ask you casey what you have thought from an outsider's point of view of emmanuel reynoso from our point of view at times it's like stroking silk just watching him play he's absolutely flawless and 10 assists in the last five games surely that has to be the focal points in terms of worry for the seattle sounders well, I mean, I think most teams, you know, who are successful have that player that you think, you know, this is the guy that if we can shut down him, that'll help us to go a long way from shutting down the rest of the team. And, you know, the, when, you know, I'm going to go back to, you know, the match against Dallas is Dallas did a very good job of, of, of shutting down, you know, the three key offensive components for the Sounders. And, you know, Morris, Rui Diaz, and, and Ladero. And then sometimes you need someone like a Shane O'Neill to pop up and, and score the goal for you. First goal since 2014. Um, now, I'm not saying that the Sounders, you know, can't lose to Minnesota if they shut down Reynoso. But there's no question that in the game plan, and I'm sure it was Kansas City's game plan as well, is if you can shut him down, that'll help you significantly in shutting down the rest of the attack. And, you know, anytime somebody comes in and, and makes that quick 
of a uh, of an impact in in, in you know, helps aside as as much as he has. Um, now it's a key. You know, you look at players, and you see how do they perform when the team needs them to perform at their best. Uh, you look at Rui Diaz's goal scoring uh, uh, output in playoff games. You know, look at the way Jordan Morris has continued to improve in playoffs and, and his output and, and, and Ladero from day one, you know, that's, those are your, those are the guys you're paying the money to. Those are the guys that need to perform when it matters the most. So I'd say probably 90% if, if Minnesota are going to beat the Sounders uh, on Monday, Reynoso needs to have a big game. Uh, and the Sounders know as well, if they can shut him down, that they have a much better chance of winning. Another player that, you know, from Minnesota United that I'm sure you've watched throughout the time covering the league is Kevin Molino. And there's been a lot of high praise for him at times that he could quite possibly be one of the better midfielders or attacking players in the league when he's on. Right. And now he's really on and he's also healthy as you've gone back and probably watched the last couple games from Minnesota United, what have you seen from him and, and how important is it to have multiple threats going forward right. when you're playing somebody? Oh, for sure. No question about it. I think anytime you can key off of one person uh, and, and if you have a good squad, you have a couple guys that can take care of that. So if you look at Kansas city and they say, okay, we're going to shut down Grey Goose, we're going to shut down Reynoso and then we're fine. Then when, when you have the threats of a, of an informed Kevin Molino, who, as you mentioned, I think, you know, obviously came back from injury, had some, you know, it's about consistency. And right now he's on that, on that level of consistency that you haven't seen from him in, in, in several years. And it couldn't happen at a better time for Minnesota. And, but you know, the pace, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the second goal the other day was, was fantastic. The timing of the ball over the top and the first of all, it starts with the run and then the contact. I mean, those are dream moments in, in big occasions. And, and he definitely has stepped up and done that. And, you know, now it's about, finishing it off and it's going to be a tough task obviously you have a good team but but the more active you know we talk about it with the sounders is the more active jordan morris is getting in behind and running at defenders and it creates the space then for the people in behind so the more kevin molino is is pushing the line of of an opponent's back four they get worried now. They drop off 10 yards, which then gives Reynoso five more yards to work, which is exactly what you don't want. Or, or Greg Goose coming from a little deeper or a little wider. So, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that the, the, to have three or four players in form at the, at the same time is the reason why Minnesota is in the situation they're in right now. It's just not one person. It's not one person. And someone else who hasn't got much of a mention over the course of the last few weeks has been Robin Lourdes, who I'm sure you've seen over the course of the last few weeks, Casey, has operated as a false nine, causing an element right. of confusion for a lot of different people, a lot of defenders around Major League Soccer, from a defensive point of view. And within minds, all the stuff you just mentioned with the likes of Molino and Reynoso behind him, how do the Sounders plan for that sort of game? Well, I mean, I think it's always you can surprise somebody if it's the first game or the second game, right? You're not going to surprise anybody when they've done it two or three times now. So now you're really much going to treat him 
you know, like a number nine, even though, you know, you're right. He's not a number nine. He played wide so much and, you know, but he's, but he's very active and he moves around and, and, and you, what you have to make sure is, is if he drops a little deeper, you don't get stuck having three guys defensively marking nobody and then having these huge mismatches in, in midfield. So it's, it's how, you know, the Sounders decide to, you know, to, to chase somebody. Is it, is it, uh, is it Yamar? Is he going to chase him around? Is it, is it going to be, you know, or is it saying, okay, we're just going to push our line higher when he goes higher. And then you're so dependent that you just have to make sure that the deeper runs out of midfield, which Kansas city extremely struggled with as he came out, they tried to push that line, but then nobody ran with the deeper runs out. And it was just like, you know, where did Kansas city's defense go? So, you know, that's the tricky part. And I'm sure that's the part that the Sounders have been working on. Does somebody go with them? Do we stay? But then if we stay, you have to make sure you're tracking the deeper runs out of midfield. We've talked a lot about Minnesota's offense, but what about Seattle's defense? There's been some moving pieces and some rotation on this back line. Um, it seems like pretty much since Chad Marshall decided to retire, but what do you make of the back line and, and the form they're in right now for Seattle Sounders? Yeah, I think the way that they felt was they had three center backs coming into preseason. Um, you know, with they, they felt that probably Yamar and Ariago were the ones that were uh, more tip to start and that Shane O'Neill was coming in as a squad player. They found really early that, that, that Yamar established himself as kind of the leader of that group. And then it was kind of a battle between uh, Ariaga and Shane O'Neill on who was going to start. And, and one thing that, that, that a lot of people have been critical of MLS is the way the pay structure works is you don't build a squad you build, you know, a handful of guys who are making good money and other guys who are making okay money. And then a group of people that are just trying to, you know, uh, help you practice. And when you can get yourself into a situation where you have true competition for starting positions, where you have guys that have to train every day, they have to train well, because if they don't, somebody else is going to take their spot. And, you know, the Sounders, as this season had progressed, have, really built the squad and, and built so there was built-in competition for positions. And, and they've significantly benefited from it uh, as this season has progressed. And one of those positions is that center back role where they know not only can we rest somebody if we need to, but also uh, if you're not performing, somebody else is there who's going to. And, and that's a, it, it's bode very well for the Sounders going forward. Casey, let's lean in your expertise even further here, shall we, and talk goalkeepers for a moment or two. Minnesota United had a problem during the season when it was announced Tyler Miller was going to miss the rest of the season because he needed a hip surgery uh, to solve several problems that he had. Dane St. Clair was thrust into the first team unexpectedly, but he's done ever so well. Um, It's been safe to say we've seen him grow every single game. What have you been impressed with him? What have you seen so far from the young Canadian? Yeah, I think it was at first you you saw exactly what you expected to see. Kind of a, a, a young athletic goalkeeper makes some saves, but get himself in interesting positions and in, in reading the game. And that that's one of the hardest parts of of goalkeeping is yeah, you're you're an athlete and you're and you're gonna make some saves and you're gonna do some things, but 
it doesn't do any good if you're if you're not in the right spot where you need to be or you come for a cross that you shouldn't have come for or you didn't come for a cross that you should have come for and and those little things and 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 the the hardest part about it is the only way you can improve on that is to have games so you have to make you can't make so many mistakes that then they pull you out, but you, there's still an expectation that you are going to make mistakes. And what I always say, it's the balance between, can you make a save that makes a difference? And where is that ratio between the mistake that hurts your team? And, and you know mistakes are going to happen, but, but you take, take the other day, for example, where you know, he made the one-on-one save, great, but then the save off of the header was the was the real key save. And, you know, that was after, I think it was Boxall that, that cleared the ball over the line. Now, I would have said originally off of the one that was cleared off the line that he didn't want to be in the position that he was in. He needed to be a step or two further back, So, but got bailed out on that one. Then he comes up with two big saves for the team to keep it at nothing. And then the team goes down and scores goals. So it's that balance between can you make those couple big saves that help your team at the point? Oh, three nil. You think if you didn't watch the game, you're thinking, Oh, three nil just cruised it. No problem. But no, your goalkeeper makes a couple saves. The center back clears the ball off the line. And if you don't watch that first 20 minutes, you think that it's just a, a cakewalk. And so I think that's what's so key for young goalkeepers is to be able to uh, let the coaching staff know, let the players know, let the fans know that they can come up with the big state, the big save when it matters. Still do all the other stuff well. Understand that there'll be some learning uh, uh, some growing pains, which of course there's going to be. And, and as you mentioned, Tom, that, it has. He's gotten better with the more experience that he's gotten. The, the, the positional mistakes have gotten less. The little things, have got, and that comes with time. And then too many people, particularly in goalkeeping, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint by any means. You can come in, you can make a big save, you can do whatever, but you, you can save a penalty, you can do, you know, but it doesn't make you a, a good goalkeeper. It means you made a save for the day. Uh, it's how then can you build off of the opportunities he's getting right now to then become, uh, you know, something uh, that where where either Minnesota says, okay, you're our starter, or or some other team says, hey, we're really willing to invest in you, and 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 and, and you can become our starter. When you break down the goalkeeping standpoint, especially for a youngster. What percentage of it is instinctual, is natural, is coachable, is, you know, how, how do you break that down or determine that um, when you're talking about those different things? Um, look, there, there, there's always a point where you have somebody and you can say, and I've seen these guys, I've seen the guys where you're like, I watch them in training and I go, man, he's, he's not really that good of an athlete. He's not really making that many, you know, it's nothing spectacular. This Then you get him in a game. And he's in the right position every time. He doesn't make any mistakes. He's, he's, he's a very steadying factor. And then you have other guys that are flying all over the place, making saves and doing this. And then the next thing you know, he's like, what the hell did he just do there? And I, then, oh, that's a terrible goal. And, where's, you know, and so, yeah, it, it is. It's, a, it's an interesting balance. And then when you find the guy that puts them both together, 
then you have somebody that you're going to hold on to for a while. And, and it's, and it's the cool part about it is there's no, there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer. You can be, you know, uh, a five foot nine Nick Raimondo and stop the ball from going in the net, or you can be a six foot five Manuel Neuer and stop the ball from going in the net. In the end, that's where you're judged. You're judged at how many times can, can your team, can you keep the ball out for your team so they can get a win? And the, the first thing I will demiss, uh, dismiss anytime somebody says to me, as the first thing out their mouth, ah, oh, this goalkeeper's really good with his feet. Great. Put a field player in goal. No problem. I bet you I can find you a field player that can be even better with his feet. Put him in. Are you, but no, you're not being judged by how well you take a goal kick. You're being judged if you can come up with that save on that header to keep it at nil-nil so your team can go back down and score a couple goals later and win the match. And, and I think that's the, that's the part that I think people are starting to – don't get me wrong. You have to be proficient with your feet, but that's not your job. Your job is to keep the ball at the back of the net. Wonderful. Casey, before we let you go, one more question. Um, this has been such an odd year, 2020. If either the Sounders or Minnesota United fall in the Western Conference Finals, surely they have to view it as a spectacular season, no? Yeah. I mean, you, you do whatever, you know, I, I, was, I was very critical of the Supporter Shield this year. And when MLS announced that they weren't going to have it, it made perfect sense. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, kind of the way that this season is done, you had, you know, Sounders played Dallas, finished fourth in the West. Uh, could have, you know, if, if, if results had gone different, Kansas City won the West. Sounders didn't play either of them. <laughs> so how do you then claim a supporter shield right. when, you know, the Sounders, you know, played – Oh, you know, Toronto plays Vancouver and Montreal six times in a row. Oh, that's a fair representation of the supporter shield. I mean, no, so look, but then again, okay, Montreal, uh, Philadelphia, by all means, celebrate it. It was given to you, whatever reason, you don't make the rules up, but, but there has to be an asterisk on it. Now, for MLS Cup, it's a little bit different because MLS Cup, you, you, you still have to beat the team that you didn't play during the season to get to where you need to be. Uh, yes, it's a shortened season. Yes, it was stop-start. Yes, you haven't played all the teams you were supposed to play and whatever else. And yes, a bummer that there's been so few fans being able to watch stuff uh, publicly. But at the same time, you've, you think of what the Canadian teams had to go through with two different uh, times that they had to go into isolation away from their home and hotels. And, you know, MLS is back in Orlando where you know, some teams got knocked out. Some teams had to stay longer and be – look, yes, it's been wild. And give, give the teams, give MLS, give everybody credit for getting this season uh, done and getting live sports for people to watch and, and, you know, to go through the crazy protocols. I know you guys had a, had a COVID issue and, and you know, you know that obviously from Nashville and Dallas and, and you know, Sounders have had the odd player on international duty, you know, with a COVID problem. So look, we've all had to deal with it and it's, it has been unprecedented. Um, so yes, take a, uh, 
take a ton of credit, but then at the same time, you also have to have that little asterisk there and say it was 2020. Casey Keller, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Callum Kendra, thank you. That's Casey Keller, the former Seattle Sounders and United States goalkeeper. And that's it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. 8 p.m. Monday evening. You can join the crew on Fox Sports 1 for coverage, or you can join us on the radio side of things on Score North. A gargantuan game, the biggest game in club history. Minnesota United away to Seattle Sounders in the Western Conference Finals.